How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I'm your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jesse. Tim, how's it going, sir? Uh, it's been going good, going good. Had a busy week, but it's always good to take some time to talk about the Ottawa Senators, even if it is their 2021-2022 uh, incarnation. And speaking about that, we're going to have someone to join us in the fun slash misery. Absolutely. And it's somebody who is making their second appearance on the Third Line Plug Sense cast. So without further ado, Tim, please welcome back to the show, Alex Metzger. Alex, how's it going? Welcome back to the show. You guys, thanks for having me. How's it going with you guys? It's been going good. It's been going good. And, you know, it's been kind of funny because I was thinking about this today. I was like, I couldn't even remember the last time we had you on the show. It must have been a couple of years at least. At least two years ago, I think now. Yeah, it's been a while. It has been a while. It has been a while, man. And you know what? We're super excited to have you on the podcast, not only because we've got some good hockey games to talk about. We've got a couple of news stories to talk about, but we also got a great cover athlete to talk about. So let's jump right into this. Today's cover athlete is, of course, for season five, episode 24 in chronological order, episode 119, the Jason Spezza edition of the third line plug, Sensecast. So just a little background with Jason Spezza. He was drafted second overall by the Ottawa Senators in 2001. He spent 11 seasons with the Senators, recording 251 goals, 436 assists for 687 points in 686 games. He was also named captain of the Ottawa Senators in September of 2013 and was later traded to the Dallas Stars for a package that would include Nick Paul. So before we jump into Jason Spezza, I just want to say that Actually, I want to give a quick shout and name an honorary cover athlete for people who are a fan of the Foo Fighters. The late Taylor Hawkins passed away on Friday, so I figure that's a really good thing to do. Now, let's jump into talking about Jason Spezza. Spezza is one of those guys who you want to talk about superstar players in Ottawa who very it has this weird relationship. Like fans have a weird relationship with him because it seems like the fans were always on him when he was on here. And then once he left, they always talk about how great he was. Well, isn't that how it is with a lot of relationships? You don't know how good it was until it's gone, right? That's exactly what I was going to say too. It's the classic example of uh, you kind of take for granted, maybe how good those teams were in the early to mid two thousands. And then, you know, as soon as it leaves, you spend so much time looking for a guy just like him. And uh, you know, it, it's been a number of years, but uh it's yeah, it's I, I was younger when he was in his prime, but I remember growing up him, Elfordson, Heatley, that line was just special to watch even when I got to watch it. So uh, I can't imagine what it was like to watch that for the better part of a decade, him just tearing up the league. For sure. Yeah. And Spez was one of those guys who, and I'm just as guilty of it. Like I didn't truly appreciate how good Spez was until he ended up leaving. But I think four words perfectly sum up Jason Spez as an Ottawa Senator. No look drop pass <laughs> i remember this old image that used to circle circulate around hockey image boards that was just the ottawa rink with different zones and just the neutral zone was titled jason spezza's no look drop pass zone <laughs> and then there was also where jason spezza met crosby behind the net oh i know that he will never live that down that's a moment Spez will never live down. And it's really a shame because Jason really had a great tenure with the Ottawa Senators. And yet it's moments like that, that really fans end up really remembering in the end. 
Yeah, sure. and it's one of, one of those things, too, where you almost wonder how different it would have been if they would have gone all the way in 07 there or, you know, God forbid, if, if we would have got a season that 04 lockout, what they would have done that year and how much different they might have been look, looked down of or looked back at if they would have got the Stanley Cup instead of just a couple, you know, a, a couple really deep runs, don't get me wrong, but, you know, e- even those kind of get forgotten after a while if you didn't win the big one. The one thing that I want to bring up when talking about Jason Spezza's tenure as an Ottawa Senator was the one season he served as captain of the Ottawa Senators. Because you want to think about a time where it was a weird transitional period for the team where this team went from Daniel Offertson being the guy, you have Eric Carlson in the team that everybody was really thinking, okay, he's going to be the next guy. He's going to be the next captain. Not to say Jason Spezza wasn't deserving of the captaincy, but it just it oddly didn't look right. I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but for me, I just, I look at Jason Spezza with the C on his Jersey and I went, I, I don't know about that. I don't know. It's just weird. Am I the only one who feels this way or what do you guys think about this? I don't think you're wrong. I think it kind of ties into just how he was perceived as we were just talking about. Probably, you know, it was so long of fans kind of, not hating on him. Hating is definitely not the right word, but maybe not appreciating him as much as uh, we all probably should have at the time. And and so when he got named captain, especially with like, it, it didn't help his case either that Eric Carlson was the young up and coming stud who was right in the middle of his two or three, two Norris seasons. You know, like I think the first one came that year, yeah, if not a year before almost. Um, so he, that, that probably didn't help anything either. And it's kind of funny too, because I, I, again, I don't disagree that it did kind of look strange, but now all anyone talks about is how good of a leader he is with uh, obviously Ottawa's rival in Toronto, as he's kind of taking a different role in his back half of his career here. Yeah. But you have to think of just how Jason must've felt with some of the backlash that he felt from the fan base. When this past off season, there was a chance, a really good chance that Spez could have returned to the senators. And since Twitter was really pushing for it, they were really willing to, mend that bridge and wanting him to come back and he ended up re-signing in Toronto. And I think that really showed that, Hey, there's some, there's some scars left there on Spez's part. Anyway. It's definitely tough because also the reality of the situation is Ottawa was probably a piece away from being a playoff contender while Toronto was one of the odds on favorites to begin the season. Right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we can laugh all we want about the whole first round exit thing, but the fact of the matter is this Toronto team is, you know, a dangerous team and God forbid if they ever do get over the hump, we know their fans will be insufferable, but you know, I don't think it would be the craziest thing in the world. So it is something too, where, you know, maybe in his later days, he just wanted to come play for more of a, a contending team than an Ottawa team that uh, obviously had a lot of question marks going into the year. And I think probably still has a lot of question yeah. marks coming out of this season. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. So even though we could sit here all day and talk about Jason Spezza, I gotta we gotta plug next week's cover athlete poll because next week's episode is going to be season five, episode twenty-five in chronological order, episode one twenty. Now we've got three names on the board representing three different eras of the Ottawa Senators: Magnus Ardison, Antoine Vermet, and the late Merrick Svatos. So I gotta quickly ask Alex. Do you even remember Merrick Svatos at all as an Ottawa Senator? Because Tim and I were talking before we hit record, like, no, we don't remember him at all. Absolutely not. No, not even one bit. And yet he's winning. He's currently leading 75% of the votes. It's like, okay. He was, 
I guess he was a deadline pickup in 20 in 2011. So I guess we just got him as a toss in, in the Brian Murray burn down season. So it's like, I guess I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, no, that's weird though. I would have assumed Antoine Vermette because of just what kind of a fan favorite he was here in Ottawa. And he definitely kind of had like that Marty Havlat thing to him where lots of speed could score. I guess kind of like what Alex Formerton has today, where you see just the speed he's getting the scoring touch and it looks like he's getting everything, putting it all together finally. So got to give form money to that. Hell yeah. Yeah. It's good to see, especially with the questions earlier in the year, right? Like I know there was, I don't know what, two, three week stretch where it felt like he had nine breakaways every couple <laughs> games and couldn't score on every one of them, on any of them. And, you know, fans were kind of getting a little antsy almost. And it's been nice to see Foreman kind of balance things out this year and try and show that he is almost even a top six guy, you know, like I thought heading into the year, I don't know about you guys, but I thought if he kind of showed himself as a good solid third liner, that's all you can ask for. And, and maybe on a deep team, he still would be a third liner, but I think there's even more room to grow there and more consistency. I think, as you guys, you know, pointed out. Yeah. Well, this season he's finishing at a rate that puts him above three quarters of the NHL. And it's actually not even that ridiculous of a rate that he's finishing at. So if he continues at that pace, yeah, he's a legitimate second line player in the NHL. Maybe, maybe a, definitely a third liner on a team like Tampa, but I think he's a legitimate option going forward. He is definitely. And he definitely had a bit of a, like what Connor Brown was last season where you're right. He had a breakaway and you just knew he wasn't going to finish. Yeah, and I try not to look at that as a downside. I know it's tough when you're watching a guy just miss a breakaway after breakaway, but the fact that he's got that speed and create can create that stuff to begin with is is something that not a lot of guys have, and I think should be considered a plus, not a negative. Yeah, I'll take volume every day. Yeah, definitely has like the Peter Regan effect of breakaways <laughs> but doesn't score. Yeah, but more. More breakaways. That's fair. So Alex, I'm super excited to have you back on the show, not only because this is your first time in three years that we've had you back on the show, but we also got to personally thank you because on our season preview show, we had Jake Rivard from Winging It Motown on the show, and he said that he reached out to you about, okay, what was it like working with the guys with third line plug And you're like, oh, those guys are awesome. <laughs> so we greatly appreciate you saying that. Now, in saying that, we got to get a bit of an update of what you've been up to over the past three years with your podcast and last word on Puck. Yeah, uh, thanks, guys. I mean, it's always great coming on, so I, I mean what I say. But, uh, yeah, I, I can't – again, I, I can't even remember where I was last time I think I was on here. But uh, I'm still a managing editor over at lastwordonhockey.com or on Twitter at lastwordonpuck. Uh, we're putting out great content daily, analysis, news. Uh, we had a ton of trade deadline stuff, so – I've been uh, editing and writing there. And then, uh, yeah, I've started up my own podcast. This is definitely new since the last time I was on. I started up my own Sens podcast called The Last Word on Sens. And uh, I mostly just focus on what's kind of happened over the past week or two. It's just me hosting it. And I have a different guest on every couple of weeks. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun there. And then I am still going with my first podcast as well called The MNM hockey podcast with my buddy Chase McCallum and and that's more of a league-wide focus where we look at all 32 NHL teams and the surrounding news so yeah that's what I've been up to it definitely keeps me busy and it's been a lot of fun 
Yeah, and even talking about your podcast last word on sends, and I know that you've had some pretty big names on the show, like from Matt Bosty to Derek Lee to even Graham Nichols. Now, of course, the one guy I just brought him up was Matt Bosty. Talk to us about this guy, because definitely when you see him on social media, he definitely has that kind of, I don't want to say character, but he has kind of, he's definitely not a ship pusher, but he's definitely one of the that's just him. It, it is him. He's a lot like, like he's just like he is online. He, he's very outgoing. You know, he, he's not afraid to give his opinion on, on anything. And he's very lighthearted about everything, too. I think that was one of the things, you know, that they've been nice getting to know Vosti over the over the years on Sense Twitter is, um, yeah, when I first followed him, I, I and I, I tell him this, too. So uh, if he's listening, I, I would absolutely tell him to his face as well. But I, I didn't know what to think of him. But the more I've talked to him just, you know, over Twitter, um, on my podcast, everything, he's a really great guy. And you know, it's if you're not following him, I fully suggest it because he's he's one of the funniest guys on Twitter. And one of the things he's, you know, I, I thought has been great with recently is he's kept a really lighthearted mood during what I think is probably been one of the roughest stretches of the rebuild for a lot of the fan base. You know, one of the, the big talking points we had when he was on my podcast a couple of weeks ago was just, you know, it felt like uh, the Arizona game, I think it was, or right. I, I can't even, I can't remember. There was, it was right after the Arizona game or the Arizona game. It just felt like the, the straw that broke the camel's back and since Twitter was just losing it, like one, everyone fired, everyone traded. And, you know, there were some reasonable takes, but there was also some very unreasonable ones. And one of the discussions we had was just, you know, don't, don't try not to get too upset about this team. You know, they're, they're going to be a lottery team. Don't waste your energy on it in terms of if you're upset late that night after the game, it's not that serious, you know, like just, just take a chill pill. But uh, yeah, no, he, he's an awesome guy. He's hilarious. And uh, you know, he, he's really, it's not just a character that he puts on on Twitter. He, he's really, you know, the same kind of guy on a podcast or just in private as well. He's uh, hilarious. Yeah. But even moving, like looking past Matt Bosty here and two of the guests you've had on your show that we've had on ours, Brandon Mackey and Trevor Shackles are the exact same way. Like what you hear on their podcast and what you hear on when they're just talking in person, like that's just who they are. And they're, I, I like those guys, man. I think they're really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Again, two, two other guys that are just awesome. Been great to get to know over the years on Sense Twitter. There's, there's a lot of people like that, but those are three good ones for sure. Yeah. Well, definitely when I think about, I can't remember who was Mackey or Shackles when you guys got together and we, and I quote tweeted it through the podcast's Twitter page. It's oh, so cool to see third line plug guests teaming up <laughs> and Alex Marchant. I don't know if he commented or retweeted it. It says this fan base is awesome. And I was like, Whoa, all right. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, you know, it's one, one of the things I love about sense Twitter is just how, how nice so many people seem to be like, I don't know. It's just maybe it's just as an outsider, and maybe I just block the people I really don't want to hear on Twitter. <laughs> but I, there really hasn't been many of them, is my point. Where it feels like even just when I'm kind of browsing like least Twitter or whatever, it's like, oh my god, this is this is a nightmare. Like, there's so many people I wouldn't want to talk to on here. Whereas I, I really can honestly say that has not been my experience with the Sense fan base. It's just been, you know, even even when you disagree with people, you know, you can disagree, but you can have good debates, and yeah. that's the biggest thing I think, right? Yeah, and it's just there. Also, there doesn't seem to be a lot of sacred cows. There, like I've outside of maybe people calling Zaitsev good, I haven't seen anyone just get gored over something. So yeah, exactly, that's a pretty good place right? to be. Yeah, yeah it's I don't know. I generally... mean, I think some of the Formanton talk when there was talks about trading him and some of the other things that you could see people getting their 
panties with a bunch of boat stuff. And it's just like, really? Come on, you guys. Yeah, I think like every fan base, people are going to get emotional. You know, that's what fandom is, right? And again, it's just about more, if you want to make the argument, the Senator should or should have traded Formanton, like I would disagree with you. But if you're going to be polite about it, at least try and lay out an argument, I'd I'd listen. So uh, it's definitely, I'm not saying Sense Twitter is perfect by any means or anything like that. And there are definitely some wild takes that are out there from time to time, especially when the team gets in one of their slumps that they seem to love to get of, losing six of eight or five in a row or whatever. But um, yeah, no, generally speaking for, for how bad the on ice product has been for about four or five years now, I would say it's still surprisingly good spirits around, around sense Twitter. Absolutely. And even in the locker room too, when you see just the kind of vibes that the team has and you're, and it's really amazing because teams that have long stretches of losing the morale can always be really low just kind of oh okay this is what it is but when you see the drakes and stutzlas and brady's of the world and he's looking in the locker room you're just like this is a team that really wants to win it, it almost makes it sad that like this almost feels like when you when you look in the locker room this feels like a team that should be making that magical wild card run or whatever you know where this is it all coming together and they're sneaking the playoffs but yeah like they still I mean, I, I think you can tell kind of on Kachuk's face, especially over the past couple of weeks, he's sick of losing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like I, I think he's handling it really well for a young captain, too, where he's showing emotion on the ice. And it's not dumb emotion or anything like he's just clearly frustrated at the bench. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's clearly not making him miserable off the ice, because I, I, I think when, you know, we've seen in other instances, maybe, uh, especially on other teams where there's so much losing that it affects the locker room as well. And then suddenly you have a long-term issue where you can't put the, the season behind you and start anew. And it just kind of, you know, it's just turmoil for seasons to come. It doesn't really seem like that's going to be the case with the sense dressing room. And at the very least, I think that's got to be a positive takeaway from this year. It has to be, man. It has to be. So I guess it's time to do one of my favorite things when I get to get together to do these episodes is a segue into this little segment I like to call top of the hour mm. by the way i don't know if you guys can see that but i picked that up yes. oh nice yeah That's i picked sweet. it up at like what was it? eight bucks yeah i picked it up at not sports check i picked it up at source of sports in victoria so. oh wow look cool i bought it for hockey that's the really because i have like two water balls and i'm just kind of sick of using my gatorade one for in my hockey bag so i'll just put the cap on there Okay, guys, so let's jump into top of the hour. Now, even though we're an Ottawa Senators podcast, we got to start off top of the hour by talking about our provincial rival, the Toronto Maple Leafs, because something actually kind of cool this happened weeks for them. The Toronto Maple Leafs unveiled their new reversible third jersey created by Justin Bieber's brand, Drew House. Said jersey includes one side featuring an all black with blue stripes Leafs jersey, while the other is an all black with yellow stripes. So... First of all, I got to make a comment. I think it's kind of funny that the Leafs can't beat the Bruins, so they just decided to go with their colors. I, okay. I, I was, uh, when, when, when you guys posted this, and I, it is funny, too, because I've seen a lot of comparisons to um, the black and blue looking a lot like the Ottawa black and red ones, too, right? It's mm-hmm. like, oh, man, Kyle Dubas wants to be a Sens, uh, Sensium <laughs> so badly, right? <laughs> Uh, noted sense fan Kyle Dubas, I should point out. Uh, when you guys shared this, the topic list with me, I, I was really curious to get 
know what you guys think on this because I, it's been, I don't know what, a week, I think, since they released these. And I still cannot decide if these are one of the coolest things I've seen in a while or if I think this is one of the dumbest things I've seen in a while. I think the price is definitely one of the dumbest things that I've seen in a while. I can't imagine those were cheap, but I, I do like the blue and black color scheme together. I thought that looked nice. I wasn't as big of a fan of the Justin Bieber black and yellow. I didn't really, I don't know about you guys. I didn't love that one. No, the, like definitely wow. because it's it's a, it's it's always associated with an original sixteen. I think that's my big issue. I do I do kind of agree with the black and blue. I think definitely being Senators fans, like when when I saw the black with red for the first time, I just went, I was kind of eh on it. I think you can probably go back and find that episode because that was our reaction. It was just kind of eh, it's okay. I think for me when I saw the jersey, I thought okay, not a bad look. The black with the blue is not bad. And then I saw it during a game and I was just like, I don't know if I like this or not. Yeah. Like I, I don't mind it. I think the, both the colors are pretty, pretty bold. So they work kind of, kind of nicely together if that makes sense. But um, the, the other thing I was, I, I couldn't decide if I liked or not was the reversing of the Jersey so that there was a second one, you know, like, so if you flip it inside out, you get a second Jersey. I was like, that part of me thinks that's really innovative, especially for people who want to buy a jersey. The other part of me goes, it just kind of seems like I'm trying to think, imagine being on like playing pond hockey or whatever. It's like, oh, we need one more white jersey. So you flip it inside out and suddenly <laughs> you got a different one. I was like, I don't know if you get made fun of for that or not. But uh, yeah, I, I'm very on the fence about these. I, I definitely don't hate them, I don't think, but I can't decide how much I like them either in terms of a concept and then, I mean, obviously, I don't like any Toronto Maple Leafs jersey. <laughs> if I have to, if I'm being, being a biased sense fan, but yeah, just just generally, like objectively looking at them, I really don't know how to feel. I remember back in the year 2000, 2001 ish, uh, Manu was doing their centennial, right? And they made these reversible jerseys, and the inside was like gold with just ironed on crap. So ever since what I bought that Gibby jersey, and like the iron on stuff, like rubs off because you're wearing it against another shirt so it's just reversible jerseys have always just felt gimmicky to me because i bought one thinking it was the coolest thing ever and then it was just like oh th this isn't working out very well really i actually had never i didn't even know that manchester united did that yeah i'll have to take it out someday because i think i still have the damn well i still have the damn thing really eh yeah okay, you're gonna have to bring this out because i'm really fascinated i do actually want to talk about the fact that the Leafs got Justin Bieber to do this because, you know, the NHL is really trying to really grow the game to a younger generation. They've tried it with at the all-star game. They brought in TikTok stars. They've tried it in the past with other gimmicks. I'm interested to see, like, what do you guys think about, well, first of all, what do you guys think about the Leafs bringing in Justin Bieber to help design a Jersey for them? I think, you know, anytime you can get um, someone that big, it's probably good for your sport, you know, whether or not everyone likes Justin Bieber is maybe a different uh, thing, but it, it's still, you know, it's uh, basically impossible to deny that he's one of the, you know, most recognizable names in North America. And uh, I, I believe they had uh, or collabed earlier this year as well and came out with um, a clothing line. I believe it was like t-shirts and sweaters. And, you know, it, I guess it must've had success because they went back to the well. Um, yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I think it's, 
I don't really like, I, I, I don't, when I see it, I just go, Oh, okay. That's cool. I guess. But I don't think one way or the other, but it's definitely one of those things where when you can bring as big of a name as Justin Bieber into your sport and, you know, uh, not go overboard with it too. Cause I yeah. think that's the other thing, right? Like how many times have we seen the NHL just latch on to something to the point where it's ruined, like with the SNL skit and, and, and everything like that. Right. Like, so not attach onto him so much that you go way overboard with them, but also, you bring in a big enough name where even if it, you know, attracts a couple more fans that were just as music fans and now check out hockey. I mean, I can't see how that's a bad thing personally. Yeah. And it's funny because there's a lot of momentum with Justin Bieber product tie-ins after Tim Biebs. I never ended up trying those by the way, because every time I went to a Tim Hortons in Calgary, they were out. Were they any good? I wouldn't say they were better or worse than a normal tidbit. They were, they were like they were they were good, but I don't think they were anything like amazing or anything like that. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Well, and I, I think the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because I remember in 2016 when the NBA brought the All-Star game to Toronto and Drake had a huge influence on that. I wonder <laughs> if this is definitely the NHL's version of trying to replicate that. I hope like, not, because that was so goddamn obnoxious. I remember I went to a game years later and they had this 10 minute opening just dedicated to, Hey, Drake made these jerseys. They say, Ovo, they're cool. I'm like, I just want to see Rudy Gomer try to dunk and fail. Like, I don't care. This is worse than like name anything you don't like about a hockey game intro. And this was worse. I hope not. No, let's not do that. The NHL has formally invalidated the trade between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Anaheim Ducks involving Evgeny Dadunov due to his limited no-trade clause. Dadunov is currently in his first season with the Golden Knights. Somehow I feel this is probably the Senators' fault, though, in the long run. If you're taking on a player, you should read their goddamn contract. This is on Vegas, and the league agrees there is no punishment for Ottawa. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at, too. I also, the league doesn't get enough flack for this, I don't think. Not only did they process the trade to Anaheim to go through without realizing he might have a no-trade list, they didn't. They must have not asked for it the first time when Ottawa traded him to Vegas. Like, you think oh, the whole point of having an NHL Central Registry where it takes, for some reason, hours for these trades to go through, as we saw on deadline day, is that they can fact-check every little thing and get every little detail that they need right in their database so they have it. And it's not like this was a complicated detail. Any one of us could log on to Cap Friendly and see that he had a 10-team no-trade list, right? So... It's one of those things where I, sure, if Ottawa didn't pass them the, the thing, maybe they're a little bit to blame, but it is way more on the Golden Knights and on the league as well. But I don't, and I especially don't think the league, it, they got out pretty nicely from here, considering I think this was a massive oversight twice on their part. Yeah. And it's incredible too. Uh, if you haven't had a chance already, Pierre Lebrun on last Friday, so that'd be the 24th, I think he did a full dive into what he was able to learn about how no trade clauses work in the NHL. And it is wild because the teams are so obsessed about losing leverage in a potential trade that they will not share this unless they absolutely have to. And it's, it's insane to me that they won't even share it with central registry, but he was also going over times where central registry ended up leaking stuff that, then became pertinent too. So it's not entirely without a reason. 
Yeah, and I think for myself, and I bring this up because, and I know I was listening to the Law and the Thought show with Bobby Ryan, and Bobby made a great point where he brought up that you would think that every year the player would resubmit the top, the 10 team list. Right. And Mark Mathod and Bobby Ryan have both talked at length about team that they wouldn't go to for tax reasons. And you heard in other podcasts about this, but yeah, you would think that the agent would bring this up to the team and being like, okay, you can't trade this player to this team. If you look at his no trade list, that team's on that list. So the team, the trade would be void right then and there. Yeah, but that just goes back to Vegas completely failing to do their due diligence. And it kind of reinforces this very negative image of the Vegas administration not giving two shits about their players. Yeah, and I'm trying to think, who is the other guy there in the Ryan O'Reilly trade that went from St. Louis to Buffalo and he ended up just leaving? Oh, <laughs> Berglund just retired. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. Nobody ever brought that up when this whole thing with the Dadunov deal went down. Yeah, it's like, I just, I can't, I mean, Vegas definitely has, uh, you know, as you guys mentioned, they definitely have a reputation for just being fast and loose with how they, how they go about business. And on one hand, I kind of respect it in terms of like, we've, we really have not seen the HL team do it to this degree where, you know, everyone always loves to bring up, well, it's a business, you got to do it for a business until the decision that they don't like. And then it's like, these guys are assholes. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I, I think that their major flaw is ironically going to be signing one of their better players in terms of Petrangelo, who is on a massive ticket and only getting older. And he's not been bad this year, but he has not been the Norris caliber defenseman. I think they were hoping for either. And they still got a lot of years on that, but at the same time, like, yeah, this is clearly, they're playing a little too fast and loose here. I would say when you're not even checking, to see if the guy you acquired at a, a, a no trade list, which again, I would bet you a good amount of, especially hardcore hockey fans yeah. could have told you that Dadnov had some kind of trade protection. Right. And so the fact that no one on the front, <laughs> in the front office even thought to double check about that just kind of blows my mind. So we're going to move on to our next story. And I got to quickly ask guys, have either one of you ever heard of the DJ Bucky Cheds? Who? Not until this past week. <laughs> okay. So the reason why I bring this up is because DJ Bucky Cheds is former Toronto Maple Leafs goaltender Garrett Sparks. And I bring this up because Garrett Sparks landed the final billing slot at this summer's Lollapalooza tour in Chicago. This is incredible. Did not know about this. It just happened to pop up on my Instagram feed and I was like, what? Okay. I, I'm interested. Let's let's talk about this. Have any of us listened to any of his mixes? Because Zabenajad, he's good. Yeah, I haven't personally listened. I saw, I looked him up, I looked Sparks up on uh, Spot, or no, on SoundCloud the other day, but I uh, I was at work, so I, I didn't actually get to press play. Um, I, I thought this was hilarious when I saw it too. I, I don't I don't have much more to comment on it other than that, other than I thought it was hilarious. And it was one of those things because like, I don't think anyone knew about this. And then now I'm wondering if this was something he picked up after he was like out of the NHL or if he was actively trying to be like a DJ while in the NHL. 
Um, you know, kind of like we've seen Savannah Jet drop music as well. Um, I don't know which one I'd respect more, but both of, both scenarios are pretty funny to me. I, I know, and I was reading this, and my first thought was, I mean, how many ex-NHLers can say that they performed at Lollapalooza? Second mm, thought, yeah. how many people actually knew that Lollapalooza was still going? Yeah, it's like whenever I think of a music festival nowadays, I think of like Coachella. Yeah. What if, what if Mika Zabanja played Coachella? Can you imagine the hype for that? Yo, that would actually be... Although EDM isn't really a Coachella thing. I could see Zabanja doing some Swedish music festival. I don't know any Swedish music festivals, but that seems to be right up his alley. Just in the off season, nice uh, nice summer weather. I, I could see that going for him. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be, that would be pretty cool to see. I'm not going to lie. I kind of want the Rangers to win a Stanley Cup now so that he could take that and like put it next to his mixed table at a music festival in Sweden. Oh, that, that would, would be, be incredible. That would be pretty cool. All I think of when I hear stuff like this is when Washington won the cup in 2018 <laughs> and immediately after they won the cup, they went to a Tiesto concert. Or just the bender. The, yeah, the summer of OV, just classic. You want to talk about a classic bender, but... Honestly, guys, that would just delay the inevitable. A final talking about our fourth and final story for top of the hour. Boston Bruins forward Brad Marchant launched his own cereal called Marsh Munch. Said cereal is at several locations and also can be purchased online with portions of the proceeds going to the nonprofit Christopher's Haven. Did you see how much this fucking cereal costs? No. Two boxes is $30 American. Like, I get it. I really, I like the cause. It's a it's a premium product, but this is that's a bit too much. Yeah, like I'm not, someone who will stay at a Fairmont. Honestly, I am not paying thirty dollars American for two fucking boxes of cereal, even if it has Brad Marchand's fucking rat grin on it. Quite frankly, this just has to be knockoff Frosted Flakes. That's all I can imagine it being. Right? It's kind of like fruity <laughs> or not fruity, Flutie Flakes back in the late '90s when Doug Flutie Flake played for the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> But this is just, this is freaking next level. Actually, I, I have to read the product blurb for Mar for March's Mudge because this thing is incredible because it's like trying to tell you it's like all this natural food and important stuff. Uh, where the hell is it? Brad Marchand's March Munch 2-pack, $29.99. Our first batch of March Munch Cinnamon Crunch has sold out. Limited availability. A portion of the proceeds, oh, they don't, they've gotten rid of the blurb. But yeah, all they have is this box and it's got like a freaking word scrabble on the back and one cup of dry cereal is 170 calories. So it's probably just cinnamon toast crunch in a different box for 30 bucks. I got to ask Alex, if you had the opportunity to eat some of the cereal, would you go for it? Do I have to pay for it? Mm. Depends on how much one box is. If you're 30 I, bucks I, I would say I would definitely try it if it was just there. I, I would have no problems with that, but I just did the math. So the conversion rate from American to Canada is about, I think, $1.30 right now. Yeah. So uh, if you're taking that into account, it's about $19.50 per, for one box, you know, yep. double that for two. If you add taxes onto that as well, I get up to about $22.03 for one box. 
I am not paying that for any box of cereal. You can have gold on the cereal. I'm not paying that for a box of cereal. But that brought me to another thing I want to know. What was what would be the most you guys pay for a normal box of cereal? Because I thought about that and I was like, I really don't know the answer to that. Quite honestly, I think the most I've ever spent on a box of cereal was a jumbo box of Vector. I think it was like 12 bucks or 12 or 13 bucks. I think per unit, when I was staying with Chelsea's family in the Tokyo area, we spent, I want to say 800 yen on like an average size bag box of cereal. And that's because cereal is not common there. So you're not getting a volume discount. So yeah, 800 yen, would be about at the time, 12 bucks. But it's just because think, you didn't really have a choice. I think that's about as much as I'd spend too. And it has to be like, if it's here, it's got to be a jumbo box. I'm not spending that on a regular cereal box. That's for sure. I mean, the novelty of a, of a bag cereal was pretty interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Like when I read this story, my first thought was like, interesting. I mean, it's he's not the first athlete to have his own cereal, but it's funny eh? because back in the day, it was always being featured on a Wheaties box and now we'll just make your own cereal. I mean, if Wheaties won't choose you, you choose cereal. Honestly, my only thing with this cereal is that I would imagine it would have been a cereal that just that you don't bite, you don't chew the cereal, the cereal chews you. Ah, <laughs> uh, good stuff, good stuff. Well, guys, that wraps up top of the hour for this week, which can mean only one thing. It's time to start talking about some games. Now we got three games on the schedule. We've got the Sens versus the Islanders, Sens versus the Jets, and the Panthers versus the Senators. But before we do that. Let's hit the music. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> okay, guys, let's start talking about the Sens versus the Islanders. This is a three to nothing Islanders victory. Islanders goals were scored by Scott Mayfield, Anders Lee, and Zach Parise. Shots were 26 24 for the Islanders. Scott Mayfield opens the scoring to make it 1-0 Islanders, putting in the shot top shelf. Anders Lee scores to make it 2-0 on a rebound, and Zach Parise scores to make it 3-0 Islanders, which would be the final. So I had a condensed watch this game as I was editing the trade deadline episode last week, which I'm not going to lie, it's a fucking chore every year. To do, <laughs> but that's not the point. So I, I know you guys probably want to talk about Antel first, but let's talk about Matthew Joseph, as this was his first game as an Ottawa Senator. Man, did he get absolutely rocked with a hit on the blue line. How he got up, I do not know. Well, what's incredible about that hit is it reminds me of that game against Buffalo where there's a scrum that started after a massive hit, and then they don't call the play dead. Puck's, puck's alive, and the player goes for it. The difference here being that Simeon Valramov had a hell of a game, like incredibly well-played game. And uh, Forsberg just happened to be unlucky on the... Yarn, not Yarn Croc, sorry, the uh, Jankowski play in Buffalo. I, I thought Joseph played like it was super heads up, like especially because he saw his whole team rushing over there to just like the Buffalo game to start a line brawl, right? And he had, you know, just the he just kind of looked to the other side of the eye, he saw a wide open puck and realized the whistle hadn't gone. And instead of just, you know, throwing a punch or, you know, taking a penalty or whatever, like. He skates over, grabs a puck, and gives them a great eight scoring opportunity. It was it was everything you wanted to see, I think, from a guy who, yeah, like he, he got he got rocked. Like that was a great hit. 
It was like who who threw it? Was it, it wasn't Chara? It was uh, some I can't remember who hit through it now. I think it was Zizikas. Was it Zizikas? I think I think so. They were Clutterbuck. Clutterbuck wasn't in that night. No, you're right. Right, he's he's done for the season, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> They're done for the season, but there for two more. <laughs> no, that no, he actually got rocked in the hit. Now let's talk about Anton Forsberg. Twenty-four saves, a point nine two three save percentage. He's a guy who he used to be a guy that I was just like, oh god, we're gonna get shelled. This is gonna be bad. But again, another great outing for him. I I'm always playing doubles out because the goals. I can't blame him on those goals because there's not much he really could have done on those. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Well, the Parise one was so weird. Because it just kind of hit a bunch of people and then trickled on through. Like, what are you gonna do about that? Yeah, I, I don't I don't think either of those were really, you know, on him at all. And you know, even if he did let in a, a little bit more of a weak one, you, it's hard to blame the goalie when you don't score a goal, right? Through yeah. 60 minutes. So um, you know, not for a lack of trying. I mean, that was a very New York Islanders hockey game. I think that's kind of the way they love to win games is I think the total shots ended up like 25, 24, something like that. And uh, 26, 24. Yeah. So like, and a lot of those came in the last like five minutes as yeah. Ottawa's really pushing. Like there was a time, I think halfway through the third where the shots were like 21 all. And it was just like, Oh man, like uh, this is a snooze fest, but yeah, like I, I don't blame Forsberg at all in that game. I, I think it's, it's been, like a lot of games where it's like, yeah, he did most of what he could and he just did not get much help from the team. No. And I think one thing that definitely overshadows Forsberg's work is the work of Simeon Valramov, who had a very good shutout. And like he robs Stutzla on two occasions. So it's like, this is a game where I think Ottawa probably could have at least pushed overtime because I thought they played well enough. But yeah, it was just New York Islanders hockey. And as the game went on, the ice start. It felt like Ottawa was due, and then all of a sudden, New York just jumped. Senators versus Jets this is a five to two Senators victory. Senators goals scored by Brady Check with two, Tyler Ennis, Colin White, and Connor Brown. Jets goals were scored by Josh Morrissey and Kyle Connor. Shots were 31-24 for Ottawa. An exciting and fast-paced game throughout. Both teams paced themselves in the first period before the offensive pressure escalated, to which Hellebuck and Forsberg responded, only to have Ottawa's offense break out to secure the W. Brave to check. Two goals on three shots. Talk about classic Brady goals in this game. Just right up in there. And you'll love to see it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when he's at his best, it's just him, you know, causing hell in front of the net and, you know, behind the net too. I think he's, I don't know if it's underrated because I think people know he's good at it, but the, the way he just attacks the puck in the corners is quite magical to watch sometimes where it kind of feels like a, play, a cycle's dead and then he just takes the puck and resurrects it and starts moving it again. And um, this is just one of the most classic auto games I've ever seen. I don't <laughs> know about you guys, but off the heels of one of the most boring games I've ever watched, they go and throw you know, four goals up on Connor Hellebuck, who's one of the, he's not having an awesome year this year, but generally speaking is one of the best goalies in the league. And, you know, just completely took away from a Winnipeg team that desperately needed the two points because they're fighting for every point yeah. they can get to try and stay in that playoff race. And Ottawa did the thing that that's all they can do this year and play spoiler. And it, it felt good. Yeah. And 
one thing that I saw that I really liked is Colin White getting that power play marker and just getting right in there and just doing what he does best at making an opportunity for someone. We're talking about a guy who uh, this season and even previous seasons has kind of made an argument for himself as maybe he's a second line winger. Yeah. And I do have to make a mention here because I was running our Twitter account at third line plug for this game. And I kind of pissed off my girlfriend who's a Calgary fan when he scored on that. I went, eat your heart out, Matthew DeChuck. <laughs> he did. That was a Matthew DeChuck goal, if I had ever seen one. So good. So good. So good. So let's talk about Tim Stutzler for a second. He Now, even though he didn't have any goals in this one, he had two assists and two shots. And I thought he had a great game in this. And honestly, I thought for sure he was going to bury one in this game, but it just didn't go in. With the way Stutzler's been playing, though, He's going to get him. I, yeah, I could see him even like if it's next year. I, I hope it's next year. Obviously, I think that would do wonders for the team, but I could just see him potting so many points in one of these seasons where we kind of look up like 40 games in and he's, he's at like a point per game pace, something like that. Like, I, I know that's really lofty expectations, but like, and I'm not saying I expect it necessarily, but I could see it happening where it's like, there's so many times in this game, I think was a perfect example where he's just kind of making something out of nothing. And I think a lot of the times this year, he's really done that without necessarily the best of teammates, you know, like obviously Drake Batherson going down means you need to bring someone else up to that top line, which is someone who can't be playing with Stutzla, you know, Connor Brown missed a bunch of time as well. So it's not like he's had, the most skilled teammates throughout the entire year, but he still just looked great out there. And, and you can tell that, you know, he's just got such good vision and he seems to have the confidence to really try stuff. And I think that stuff is really going to start paying off eventually. Yeah. Well, definitely being surrounded by a group of young guys on that team who really will pump him up to go out there and perform, but you're absolutely right. Like he really hasn't had consistently good line mates throughout the year, but it's just wonders of the talent of this guy that really, it's either you could pretty much put anybody with him and still he would look good. Yeah. And that's like one of the most encouraging things too, right? Especially that he's doing it at center in that pivotal position, right? Where sure. I mean, anyone would take it if he's looking good on the left wing playing with guys, but the fact that he's really being the driver on his own line and, you know, we've seen year over year defensive improvements from him too. Like uh, to me, it's just, even if the points aren't there, it's still such an encouraging second season from him. And it's going to be amazing to see what he looks like in season three. Uh, and honestly, it'd be incredible if Stutzla continues to outpace Alexis Lafreniere in his growth. Yeah, isn't that funny, eh? That there was even talks of Lafreniere being put on the trade block this year by the Rangers. And it's like, really? This, this guy went first overall like a couple of years ago, and now you're putting him on the block? Okay. You, you do the, Rangers. The Rangers might be one of the worst developing teams that like in terms of like prospect development I've ever seen, like how many big name prospects that they had over the past couple of years that have just completely seemed to bust out. Um, you know, like Lafreniere, I, I think it's a little unfair to call him a complete bust, but it, it's not, it's not unfair to say he hasn't been spectacular in his first two years. Capo Caco's coming off his third year and he's still nothing more than a bottom six forward. Uh, you know, Chito, or Chidal, uh Kratzov, Leas Anderson, like you can kind of go down the list of guys that just didn't pan out to their potential, whether that's from overhyping or just 
a system flaw in, in New York, but it's been kind of crazy to see how many like young names just really haven't stepped up to make a difference there. Yeah, the only thing that I think Alexis Lafreniere has really going from right now is he's the finishing is start starting to show and he's starting to finish at an elite level. And if like that isn't just a flash in the pan and that's what we saw in junior, then he's going to develop himself. And a lot of what New York has done that's been good for them is just Adam Fox just falling into their lap and Georgiev all, sorry, not Georgiev. Well, Georgiev and Shesterkin just being hockey gods. Shesterkin is head, like Shesterkin should probably win the heart if he keeps this up. And yeah, I think at the time of recording, his last five or six have been really bad. Like he's had like an 880, but before those like five or six games, he was like, I think he had a 942 save percentage through like 30 plus games. Like how insane is that? Like that's just dumb. It's he is having a better season. And obviously he's got to finish it out for the full 82 here, but he is having a better season now than Carey Price had when he won the heart back in like 2014. And like, I, I don't think this Rangers team is particularly amazing either, but he is a massive reason why they are so high in the standings. No, this Rangers team is probably a tweener at best. And I would actually say that as far as five on five hockey goes, the Senators are better than the Rangers. It's just Chester Kidd has been ungodly this year. Now, another guy I want to talk about, and it's amazing because when he first got in the lineup this season, a lot of people are like, why did we bring this guy in? Michael Del Zotto. Two assists and one shot. He he actually looked all right in this game. I will give Uncle Zeddy that. Yeah, I thought he's looked pretty good all you know, every game since being called up, to be honest. Like, um, I still don't think the signing made much sense. If you uh like it just it, it didn't really fit the team needs at the time. And I think most people kind of kind of understood that. But yeah, like they don't like I wanted Victor Mete to work out. He's not working out. Jake Sanderson isn't ready and Thomas Shabbat is out. So you don't have a better option right now on the left side as your second or third pair D there than Michael Delzato. And yeah, like I, I thought he looked, I'm not going to say like amazing, but I thought he looked very, you know, like fun, fine, like a good defenseman for both this. And, and I thought the Islanders game, I thought he looked yeah. pretty good too. Like, and even the Florida game where no one really cra- covered themselves in glory. The Delzato pairing was fine. Like Delzato Hamannick was fine. They didn't get scored on, which is more than you can say from uh, for good old Nikita Zaitsev. Yeah, isn't that funny, eh? Because we, everyone criticized the Hamannick trade. We were critical of it. And honestly, I was very like, okay, let's get him out there. Let's see what he can do. And honestly, he, Travis Hamannick has actually looked all right as an Ottawa senator. I think a lot of people, I think once you took away people that just hyperventilate about the Ottawa senators, most people are just like, I don't get it. Like Simmer was just like, I, I can't, I trying to find the spin. I can't find it. This is weird. Even Bosty's just like, we'll see how this goes, but what? <laughs> yeah. And this is a guy that was on waivers two months ago. Yeah. And nobody took him. That's the thing, right? It's just like, I hope it works out, but even if it does in space, I don't think it makes the move any more logical at the time. Like, and, and even just the way they negotiated, it's like apparently 
Vancouver was asking for a fourth and Dorian said, do you want to take a fifth? And they go, no, we're not going to take a fifth. So he's like, all right, here, take a third then. That's not how you should negotiate. I think anyone can tell you that, especially because they went and picked up a fourth round pick the very next day. So uh, yeah, no, I think it's one of those things where I saw a lot of takes of like, see, people shouldn't have been so uh, so uh, soon to shit on Hamannick. It's like, well, I mean, the Vancouver media was shitting on Hamnick, but Sens fans weren't. They were shitting on ownership or management for making the trade, right? Like they were making fun of management for giving up a third for a dude who's on wait, who was just on waivers two months ago, and frankly hasn't been that good in three years. And that's why I'm trying to stay cautiously optimistic. I agree, he has actually looked, I would say, good over three games, which is not what I was expecting at all. I think that Islanders game. Him and Delzato together were like their highest pair for Corsi four and expected yep. goals, which is like, sure, all right. But at the end of the day, it is only three games. So am I getting my hopes up? No, I'm not. But hey, I'm not sitting here hoping the dude doesn't succeed. I just don't think I, – I can't wrap my head around why management did it. Yeah. Unless they have some crazy reason to believe that Jack Capuano is the Hamannick whisperer. And if that is the case, and that is real, and all of a sudden he just has a career renaissance because he's back with his man, then you know what? I don't care if we're playing the coach's kid because that fucking works. (laughs) If that happens, the Sens will never hire a pro scout again. They will just continue to, they'll just ask their coaches what guys they like and we'll go back to the well. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, even uh, getting away from hockey, and I'm a Seahawks fan in the NFL, you see that with our running back with Sean Penny, where he was a guy who couldn't stay healthy. When he was healthy, he didn't look great. And then they bring Adrian Peterson in. Of all fucking people, they bring him in, and he is the running back whisperer. And next thing you know, he looks like a stud. This very much <laughs> seems like with Hamannick. Early returns, small sample size. Let's be careful. But Fair enough, fair enough. I, I, I truly... I want to live in the universe where Jack Capuano, Travis Habedick whisperer is a thing. Yeah, I think it would be hilarious. I cannot put myself on record thinking that this move will work. <laughs> so I will say it has been incurred. Like it's, it is much better that he has looked not horrible through three games than him just immediately looking bad. Right. So, yeah. um, and again, like I'm trying not to sound too negative there, but I'm just trying to temper expectations because yeah, like three games is a very, very small sample size. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with them going forward here. But the other thing with Hamannick in particular is part of me wonders if there's it was just a rotten fit in Vancouver because like he was fine in Cal. He was good in New York for most of Calgary, except for kind of there was a, a bit rocky at parts in Calgary, but he still was pretty good. Like you could reasonably call him a second a second pairing defender in Calgary. And then he goes to Vancouver and just falls off the rails. Like maybe it was just a sour fit. Yeah. Like he was especially bad in Vancouver and let's be honest. It's not like that team was a defensive uh, juggernaut or anything like that. Right. Like there's, there's a lot of problems with that team defensively. Now, again, the chicken and the egg argument here is you could argue Hammond played a big role in that, but uh, yeah, I, I do wonder maybe it's part of it is just if you put him in lesser of a role, maybe he'll do better. But the worry I have with that is it sounds like they want to play him with Sanderson, which yeah. 
to me, unless they are full in on Branchcom's second pair right now, or well, first pair, I guess, for the rest of the year until Shabbat gets back, which I would be all in for. But to me, like him playing with Sanderson kind of suggests they probably want him on the second pair, I would guess. But maybe they want to ease Sanderson in. Unfortunately, Zaitsev's got to be a top four defenseman on this team. So then you have Zub on the right side. So maybe they play in third pair. And, and maybe you do see the, the um, results increase a little bit. On, on the gripping hand, Bruce Garriog did mention that the Ottawa Senators will make a decision about Nikita Zaitsev in the summer, which to me says that they're, they're going to get rid of him. Because otherwise, why would you have to make a decision if you have the guy on for two more years? Well, and this is, I mean, I, I'm not going to say the hammock trade makes sense anyways, because I think you probably could have got hammock this summer for even cheaper, if I'm being honest. But if Zaitsev stays and you're running a right side with both sites of and Hamannick, I'm sorry, you're just not going to be competitive next yeah. year. Like, I just hate to tell you. So like, this is the only way I can kind of like wrap my head around justifying poorly, but justifying a Hamannick trade is like, I don't know what they do with that Zaitsev contract. Maybe they buy it out. It's not a horrible buyout. I think it's like um, a medium cap hit in like the three mil range, maybe for a year or two. But then by the end, it's like 600 K or something like yeah. that. But it just depends after two years of no ticket sales, is Melnick going to want to do that? And then the other option is what team is that? Like how big of an asset would you give up to send him to like Arizona or something like that? That's a really good question. Yeah. I but don't then- know. Yeah, I don't know. But then again, it's like, yeah, looking at uh, his buyout cost, it's going to be 800000 over the buy over four years. That's chump change. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, I mean. They just have to pay the signing bonus both years. <laughs> which, <laughs> who knows? So, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to let myself get optimistic about this one. Because I feel like this is something that I'm going to get way too. And I, again, I, I don't want it to sound like I'm just completely dumping on Zaitsev. I'm sure he's a nice enough dude or whatever. He's just not a great hockey player. Definitely not a top four defenseman. And that seems insistent on how this team's going to use them. So you kind of just got to take the coach's toys away here. Yeah. Well, it's like, there's like this <laughs> part of me that I don't let out in public very often. That's like, why don't we just trade him for Phil the Thrill? Were you guys surprised he didn't move at the deadline this year? I don't know. I've heard they have a lot of hot no. dogs down there in Arizona. See, if they had a team in New Mexico, they can go with the Albuquerque Isotopes dogs. Yeah. You fit right in. I, I was, just from a hockey's perspective, I thought maybe, I, I was a little interested that he didn't move in terms of like, he could be at someone's fourth liner, I think, on a, on a playoff team. But I, I, was, I forget who I, it might have been Chris Johnson on overdrive, I think. And he was saying that uh, part of the reason was that a couple playoff teams were calling, but the Ironman streak was something that was coming into play where they're like, we can't promise you're going to play every game down the stretch. So I think Arizona and him kind of just decided it was better to stay with each other. Sorry to bring this off topic, but I, that was one of the names I was, I was a little surprised didn't move on deadline day. Yeah. yeah because If I was Dorian and uh, I could be like, Hey, do you want to finish out this year at Ottawa, get the Ironman streak? exchange for Dikita Zaitsev and maybe a sweetener, I'd do it. The question is, does Phil Kessel do it? Yeah, I. if you're going to be playing on a bottom feeder team, I'd imagine he'd probably like the weather a little more in Arizona than he would in Ottawa. That's true. Yep. 
Now, I'm going back to this game here. Now, the final guy I want to talk about, and this is a guy who came up huge at a point in this game where 1-1, it was still anyone's game. Tyler Anna scores to make it 2-1, that one goal and two shots. Holy crap, we were still talking about the Winnipeg game. Chef's kiss. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know about you guys. I, I think I tweeted this the other day, to be honest. Tyler Ennis is the one where analytically, even just by my eyes, like when I'm watching him, I don't understand why I have such a different view as NHL teams seem to have about this dude because he's not a stud or anything, but I think he's a very useful bottom six player. And the fact that he had to sign a PTO with Ottawa this year and then sign a one-by-one and no one took a flyer on him, much like Kessel, you know, I think Tyler Ennis is even more extreme because I think Tyler Ennis provides more versatility. He can play defense a little better. You know, he's not a sulky level defenseman or defensive forward or anything, but, you know, he can, it's not going to kill you out there and he can provide some goal scoring as well in transition. I love watching Tyler Ennis and he's one of the few guys in their bottom six that I really wouldn't mind if they brought back for another year here. Um, but I, like, I've just been always confused how I think I, you know, I seem to be so much different on him than NHL teams, even Ottawa healthy scratch on this year. I mean, yeah, which is, is our short king, and that might come into play. Yeah, but Ennis is one of those guys, and I even said this on the show when they brought him back, was that I was all for it because I was an Ennis guy in his first tenure with the Sens, and I thought I didn't understand why they got rid of him in the first place. And if they keep him around for another couple of years, I will be more than happy because he's very capable at what he does on the ice. At less than a million, dude's a bargain. Yeah, like you, you kind of need like every team needs a player like that, and I, maybe the one thing that teams kind of frown upon is he is kind of streaky. Like it, it feels like he'll he'll rip off two or three goals in four games and add a couple assists, and then might go seven or eight without a point. But even in those seven or eight, like I don't like when I'm watching him, I don't think he's a non-factor out there for as much as a third slash fourth liner can be. Anyways, you know, like he's still mixing it up. He, he's getting some opportunities, they're just not going in. And again, like I don't, there's not I. I can't remember too many times this year, especially where I was like, Ooh, that goal against is strictly on Tyler Ennis. Right. So. No. Well, it's also, we do have some, we have some players that uh, definitely earn that title more than others. Absolutely. So let's turn our attention to the third and final game in the evening. Panthers versus Senators this is a four to three Panthers shootout victory. Panthers goals are scored by Anthony Duclair. Patrick Hornquist and Alexander Barkov. Sense goals are scored by Alex Formanton, Artem Zub, and Dylan Gambarel. Shots from 49-22 for Florida. A somewhat even game for most of this game. The Panthers came out of the gate flying, creating a number of great scoring chances with an aggressive offensive attack. Ottawa, however, were slow to get it going, but were able to capitalize on their chances. However, could not secure the W. This was such a weird game to watch. Because the shot clock and an expected goals model tell you, and most expected goals models really tell you two different stories. And the store, the shot clock says Ottawa didn't get anything all night, 15, like 20 shots, right? And then you look at something that includes Ottawa can't hit the goddamn net. And all of a sudden it's a lot more even. Yeah, I thought that first period, to be perfectly honest, I thought Florida completely dominated us in the first. And I just went... Ah, oh, geez, I don't know about this. But then the second period got going, the team got going, their offense got going, and it was like, okay, this is a much more even game than you would think. And this is a game that I did not expect Ottawa to be 
in it. Good. I expected us to absolutely get dominated in this game because this was very much a revenge game from the eight to two game. Well, the other thing I, I noticed about this game is it took Ottawa about five minutes to get going. Yeah. And then once they got going, they were sure the shots on goal weren't really coming, but when they were hitting the net, they were picking their places. And can you believe this is Zoob's first goal in front of Ottawa fans? Okay. Let's talk about this. The one goal by Artem Zub. I absolutely loved, first of all, the goal was really cool, really good, whatever. When John Trottier, sends PA announcer, said over the loudspeaker, Senators, goal, scored by number two, Artem. He just said Artem, and the crowd went, Zoob. And I was like, that's awesome. That's really cool. And that's a really, really neat touch that a lot of people I don't think would have caught on to. Yeah, the play itself was just really, really smart. Being able to get the Zub getting himself into position and then having the heads up space to then start looking for that offensive pass and seeing that the sends are skating and moving it around really well. It's just so smart. And the rest of the players on the ice that just facilitated that was incredible. And the pass from Norris back to Zub, so good. So good, so good. Now, what's also really good, this is one of the few sellouts of the season. And I want to get your take on this, Alex, because, you know, even with all the mandates and everything being lifted in Ontario, you would have, even before all of this, they were really drawing maybe 11, 12,000 people, 17 came out for this game. And against a team that, don't get me wrong, like the Panthers are an elite team, one of the top three, I think, in the league this year, if you ask me. But let's be honest, like the Panthers aren't a, a market sell when they're in town, right? Like, it's not like this is the Leafs or the Habs or Connor McDavid even coming into town. It's the Florida Panthers. But the place was buzzing on site. Like, that looked awesome to be there. Uh, from, you know, the zoo goal celebration, just uh, like just how jacked up they were. The entire game, it kind of felt like, even, you know, when Ottawa was maybe on their heels a little more in the third period. And, yeah, I... I was kind of shocked to be honest. I, I, like, I'm very happy about it. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm curious to see if this is more of a trend. You know, maybe with the the COVID relaxation of, of the protocols and stuff, people are are a little more willing to get out. Um, you know, obviously people have been locked up for a couple of years, and and um, not that COVID's over or anything like that, but um, it's definitely you know by all health mandates, it's, it's safer to get out again. And I think the other thing too is you know a Saturday night what better way to just go and you know it's not like tickets are super expensive or anything like that so um to, to me i don't want to hear anyone anyone ever say oh well the fans don't support this team because seventeen thousand people just went out to watch one of the shittiest teams we have seen in a while for this and, ottawa Senate. and there's probably people from goddamn orleans out there and to get from orleans to canada is not a short go especially when there's only one highway exactly and like and again like no offense to the florida panthers but it's not like they have the biggest fan base and they certainly don't have a fan base that travels you know it's usually the opposite the canadians are going down to florida when they play in the winter i don't know too many people from florida are coming up to uh auto ontario weather for march you know so it was uh it was a lot of sense fans there and i'm really curious to see if this is a trend that'll continue over the next couple of weeks i really hope it is like i it's uh it looked awesome. I, I personally, you know, I want to get down to a game this year. I was supposed to go 
uh, on New Year's Eve. And unfortunately, it got canceled due to COVID. But uh, I, I'm a six hour drive. So it's a little harder for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, it looked amazing. And um, the exciting thing about it, too, is they have a couple more home games, you know, coming up. They, they play Sunday at home against the Red Wings at 1 p.m. I don't think that one will be near as packed. Uh, be willing to guess they, they play them the Thursday against the Predators at home. Again, I doubt that one will be super packed, but you never know. And then the, the, the one I'm going to be curious about, the Jets are in town next Sunday, April 10th uh, at 7.30 p.m. Another evening game, you know, may, maybe it'll draw a little bit away because, you know, if kids got school the next morning yeah. or whatever. But I, I think the next couple games are going to be really interesting to see. And I don't know if there's anything major you can take away from it. Like, I don't know about you guys. I was never really worried about the attendance. Like, this is the team in year five of a rebuild in which the ownership has done everything possible to scare fans away. So I was never super worried about only drawing 11 or 12 K, but it was really, really fun to see 17 K just rocking, rocking the place again the other night. Yeah. And sorry, Tim, I just want to say, I think I do kind of disagree with the, your comment about Detroit because the Red Wings do have a lot of fans that do travel and you saw it for sure in i just mean it's more a 1 p.m game but maybe that'll help too right uh, an afternoon can... game would be great you go in there yeah. on a p.m you don't have to worry about having to drive the kids to school the next morning and it's great i mean red wing fans always show up to ottawa i mean steve eisman's from the pn so that would make a lot of sense right? <laughs> so, now going back to this game now I do want to highlight Anton Forsberg once again 46 saves a point nine three nine save percentage Ottawa's best player in this game, in my personal opinion. But the one comment I want to make here, Patrick Hornquist's goal, because he got the shot off, Forsberg stops it, rebound, goes behind him, and he pins it up against the post. If you need four times zoom to tell if a goal is a goal, I don't think that should count. Like, I'm very firmly of the belief that Nothing has ever been improved by video review, unless it's like obvious that you could see like within a minute, just leave it on the ice. If you had to like zoom into that fucker, transform it, rotate it just to see something, you, you, you really missed the point. Yeah. And this is comments that since Twitter has made people and the media have made, it's just like, when does the video review ever work? Right. And, but I think the big the big argument over the video replay is that it's going to cost somebody in the playoffs. The second that costs a team in the playoffs and they end up losing a series, then it's going to be, okay, do we really need it? Is it perfectly implemented? I don't know. I think there should be a time limit. If, and the comments have been made in the past, if you can't decipher within 30 seconds to a minute that it's a goal or not, then it's up to the refs. Yeah, that's the best way I've seen it too. Is put a sixty-second timer on the clock, if or thirty set, whatever you want to make it. Basically, though, when the ref picks up that iPad, if he gets, say, if the ref gets three angles of it, you know, whether that's the if it's for a goal, that's the overhead cam, the behind the net cam, and then just whatever a normal camera is. If they can't tell after those three watches, keep your call on the ice. And I, I get it. You want every call to be right, but yeah, it really feels like they just kind of created a problem that wasn't an issue with video replay because even the one against, like, I didn't think that was conclusive. Like, I don't know what you guys, like, I, I know it was, but like the, the, how much they had to zoom in there. It's like, I don't even know if we can tell that that is the actual proper angle or anything like that. Right. So it's, it's yep. one of those things where 
it sucks. It probably comes back to even out over the course of the year because I'm sure there's one or two where Ottawa's probably had it, and it's just like, ooh, I don't know if that was actually in, but there we go. But yeah, I really, I I hate the reviews, especially ones that take like seven minutes. It just takes well, it all just the, wrecks the game. Yeah. It, it takes all the all the air out of the players, all the you know out of the atmosphere of the building as well. Like it just doesn't do anything good for anyone. I am full on board with if you want video review in fine, because as you said, no one wants the new Shane in Nashville or uh, not Colorado <laughs> where he's four feet offside. But like, again, how often do you see that happen? So basically, yeah, like take a 30 second review. If you want to do a minute, that's fine. I don't think a minute's that bad either, but cap it at 60 seconds. If you cannot make a decision after 60 seconds, it probably means you made a decent call on the ice. And again, like if you have to zoom in four times, twist the camera a different way and get three different angles to try and maybe guess that a puck was in, just go with the call on the ice because that's yeah. why we still have reps. Pretty much. Yeah. And the frustrating thing too is looking at the zoomed in image, there's artifacts. And if that can get shit thrown out of court, that's not, it's like, yeah, sure. It's an NHL game, but you're adding uncertainty by zooming into things. Like it's absurd. Why are we wasting our time? I want that 10 minutes back. Yeah, it's kind of like the coaches' challenges where they wait three to four minutes before challenging. And that's the argument people have made in the past. It's just like, okay, if you truly believe that this has to be reviewed or this has to be overturned, challenge it within a minute. Yeah. And and I thought they did the right thing with coaches' challenge too, where they now added a penalty if you get it wrong because – because now, you know, like that, that first year was so bad where it was like the guy's skate might have been like half a millimeter along or off the ice or whatever. And because there was no punishment, coaches were like, oh, yeah, absolutely. We'll challenge that, even though the goal made it 5-1 or yep. whatever, right? Like it was just incredibly stupid. And they put a process in to help it. And now, yeah, I don't know about you. There's the odd time where it's a little aggressive how much they look. But I don't really have an issue with the coaches challenge anymore. I think it's a... Other than the length of the review when they're actually reviewing it, right? But in terms of the actual challenge idea itself, I think we see way less of them and and it's a lot better. But I, yeah, I I, it, it feels like it's going to take a playoff thing to change it, right? As you said. Here, here, here's my way to assign the incentives of the fans to the incentives of the war room. If the war room has three reviews longer than five minutes, in an entire NHL season, bonus is gone. If they have 10, no pay raise. It's incentive bonus structure. You get your pay if you do a good job. As fans, the people who pay for the NHL, we want to see a game and we don't want to sit in the stands for 10 extra minutes wondering, uh, should I go pee now or should I uh, just sit here in case they decide to make a decision? That's shit. That's not fun. So... Those nerds need to have some fucking skin in the game. And no. it kills momentum too. Yeah. Well, like, I, like, so my industry is uh, like, I'm finance and finance adjacent. Everything we do has an incentive structure because it works. It aligns my incentives with the company's incentives. We should align the incentives of the people in the war room with the fans. That also implies the NHL cares about their fans and, there are often times within a year that I, I, I very question. That sometimes, so. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. So I guess the final comment we're going to make on this game, guys, this was Drake Batherson's first game back 
in the Sens lineup, the B and B lines back together. What were you guys' thoughts? Yeah, I didn't get to uh, watch a ton of the game. I was finishing up my hockey, but from what I, you know, the small stuff that I saw, um, I thought he looked really good. And I think the underlying numbers would suggest that as well. He was the only forward on the Sens that was above 50% in shot share. Um, so more shot attempts on the yeah. ice uh, than against, or when he's on the ice, of course. So yeah, like from what I watch, he had, he had the assist, I believe, as well. And I think yep. it was just the one point, right? But yep. um, yeah, no, I thought for uh, first game back from what, let's be honest, is, is an injury that you might not want to go 100%. But, and, you know, you might be a little cautious to, to re-aggravate something or just, you know, is it 100% healthy? Am I going to, you know, be able to turn the same way? I thought he looked really good for his first game back. Yeah. And honestly, the Sens top line and the top pairing of Batherson, sorry, Brandstrom and Zub were fantastic in a game where the rest of the team just got shelled. They made a game out of it. And Brandstrom and Zub looked really good against Florida's top line. And that's hard to do. Yeah. This Florida team's good. Eh? Like they're, they got depth too, but yeah, it, it's, I couldn't agree more. And the Sens top line has started. I don't know about you guys. It's starting to remind me a lot of like that Habs top line last year when they made the cup run in terms of, underlying numbers loves them like this is one of like one of the better life you feel pretty confident when kachuk norris and batherson go up that they can take just about any line in the league and they'll play right with them and even if they don't you know throw up 110 points a piece or anything like that you know they're just going to play defensively sound they're going to get their opportunities and try and make the most of it and I think that is an awesome thing to have because if you know your first line at the very worst is just going to play the evens you just need to surround your depth with guys who are going to outplay other teams' fourth lines. And in theory, that shouldn't be that hard of a thing to do. No. And it was funny looking at Ian Mendez is, well, what does this, what do the Senators look like next year? And you look at what the depth could be where you have Kachuk Norris Batherson. For, for the sake of argument, we just bring in Claude Giroux, staple him to Stutzla and uh, play Colin White as a third, a second line right wing. And then you have a third line of Formanton Pinto, Connor Brown. And then Matthew Joseph goes down to your fourth line. And you play him with like Ennis or Watson. I don't know. That's pretty good. Yeah. Like all of a sudden that, that depth, four depth looks fine. And it all hinges on getting that one big piece in like a Giroux or a Fiala is another name that's been thrown out a lot. Brock Besser. Um, you know, one of those guys, because if you don't get those guys, suddenly Connor Brown moves up a line and, you know, then Matthew Joseph's moving up a line and they can play up a line if they need to. But the point is you don't want them to, because you want to have all the depth you can. Right. Exactly. And that's the other thing about one of the greedy reasons why maybe it's a good thing. Eric Branstrom's season hasn't been fully great until this last bit here is Ottawa can get him on the cheap. And all of a sudden you sign a guy who can play up and down the lineup wherever you need him for maybe a million, two million for a couple of years. Like that's the value signings you need. Like, and then all of a sudden the top four of Branstrom, Zub, Sanderson and Holden in some combination looks pretty good. Yeah. It's only going to be a matter of can they still stay healthy next season? That's going to be the big one right there. Cause I think that's the big issue with the Sens this year was that on paper, when healthy, this team doesn't look bad. It's when, you know, 
Batherson goes down. Norris goes down. All these guys start going down, and you're like, oh, God, we don't have the depth anymore. There it goes, there it goes out the window. Absolutely. And some of that is, you know, you need to add to your depth. Your, your 13th and 14th forwards can no longer be the Scott Saverin types. You know, like I, he, he was fine for a rebuild where you threw him in on a, a back-to-back or against a physical team or whatever. And, you know, he gave you a bit of a spark, but if you, yeah, when you need actual depth, your, your 13th and 14th players need to be actual NHL players as well. And, and I think some of it might be internally too, where, you know, um, teams like Tampa can just kind of plug prospects in all the time and they just are doing okay. I, I kind of think we might see that soon with guys like Sokolov getting ready and, um, you know, maybe not quite next year, but like Ridley Gregg is another name yeah. that is going to be NHL ready. I think pretty like sooner than most fans expect. Like I, I wouldn't be shocked if we see him maybe not next season, but the season after that is pushing already for a full-time NHL role. Um, and so, you know, maybe some of that's internally where it's like, yes, the, the, and they've had some brutal luck. Like they've had two, two thirds of their first lineup for most of the year this year. Right. So, yep. you know, but next year, maybe if Connor Brown goes down, Sokolov's a little more ready if he can step in at least for six or seven games to fill that role. Um, yep. But definitely, I think part of it as well is just bringing in better guys to suit, even if they're not playing every single night. Yeah, well, Parker you even get, too. yeah, Parker Kelly or Matt, Mark Kastelik as a guy who looked perfectly suited for bottom six minutes as a guy who was picked up as an overager. Like that's such a sneaky, good little pickup by Pierre Dorian with late pick. Yeah, and that was a pick that when we did our draft class episode, when he got took, you and I were just like, okay, he may be a minor league guy at best. But it's like, at the same time, there's going to be players that who probably, it'll be good. They're taking up space and they'll be gone next year. Like, Chris Tierney's not coming back. Let's be real. Victor Mete is not coming back. I don't think we'll see Dylan Heatherington. They'll probably find a new home for Delzato. Dylan Gambrell, like, I hope he doesn't come back. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, like, even like, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they moved out like Austin Watson, if they really wanted to overhaul the depth. I'm not saying it will happen, and I don't really care one way or the other. They could let him play with the contract. But, like, if they're serious about overhauling the depth, I, I really do think we could see four or five new names in that bottom six and two or three on that defense court. Yeah. Well, very proven it was Parker Kelly, right? And I know Trevor Shackles has made the comments. He's like, Parker Kelly's a better player than Austin Watson. And I have to agree with him. And I know I don't always agree with Trevor on some things, but I know for he and I, I see I and I with him on this. I think Parker's a better fit than Watson is. Oh, Parker Kelly is the dude has positive shot shares and above average finish this year. And that's more you can say about uh, Austin Watson. And honestly, I would be perfectly fine with Austin Watson as your 13th forward. He's fine. Like he's fine defensively not going to give you much offensively. He can finish a bit. He's not like God awful in finishing. So he's the guy that he, he could be the, a, a competent guy. You slot in for energy. I, I was going to say he could be your Chris Neal, but no, we have Parker Kelly for that. We got Parker Kelly. for Well, I don't know. Can someone just go Chris Neal on someone in the modern NHL? No, I think they would be suspended for a very long time. <laughs> Yeah, the fact that Neil was never suspended at all is amazing. The hits that he threw back in the day, and you're like, uh-huh. there's still even from like 2014 that I was watching. I was like, how is that legal? Like, and it, it was seven years ago, but it was just the hit, the hit on Boychuk. Yeah, like it, it's crazy how much the game has changed. It, it really is. Mm-hmm. 100. 
So, guys, I don't have any more comments to make on these games. If you want to head off to the close for another episode. Yeah, I'm good. Alex, we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to join us for this episode. Now, before we head off into the close, first of all, where can our listeners find your podcast? And where can they also find Last Word on Puck, as well as you, on social media? Yeah, uh, just about anywhere you listen to this podcast, you can probably find mine. uh, Apple, Spotify, uh, most of the big pl- podcast platforms, not on YouTube. That's basically the only one I'm not on. But um, yeah, SoundCloud, you can find the Eminem Hockey Podcast as well. Um, and then, yeah, Last Word on Sends is my Ottawa one, if you want to hear that. Um, and then, yeah, you can check all my writing out and all the great people at uh, lastwordonhockey.com. Uh, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, that would be at NHL Sends and stuff. I, I try and gift most Sends games as well. I've been doing that a little less late recently, but we're going to try and close out strong with the year. So if you ever miss a game, you know, there's a pretty good chance my timeline, I'll have some of the highlights on it as well. And um, if you want to follow the the site, that's uh, at last word on puck. So um, yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. This is a blast and uh, I'm always happy to come on. Always good to have you. I just realized something. I forgot that we traded Zach Sanford. I forgot that the day after it happened, I, <laughs> the, the Winnipeg game was the revenge game. I was like, Oh yeah. I, uh, I totally don't remember him even being a part of this team. (laughs) Dude was here, I guess. Yep. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug, Sanscast. I hope you've enjoyed it because believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find us on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our links to iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter at Third Line Plug, Twitter handle, Tim at M91 Honeybadger, I'm at Great White Gipster, GR8, WYTE Gipster. If you want to shoot an email to talk about the game, talk of the hour, or you want to give us some feedback on Alex Metzger's second appearance here on the Third Line Plug Sensecast, shoot us an email at at gmail.com. Okay, Tim, so for the games of the week, as it currently stands, we've only got two games on the schedule. Tuesday, we are in Nashville to play the Nashville Predators, and Friday, we travel to Motown to play the Detroit Red Wings. Oh, those should be some fun games. It is, man. It is. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sims, guys. Woo!